The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder a few years before that. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was just so scared in general that I'm like, will I be able to be a mom and also mm. be a bipolar person? Um, Had you been stabilized on meds before your pregnancy? Yes, I had. And I had to go off of all that medication. I was going to say you had to go off of your meds. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? I was horrified. You know, before I uh, was put on meds, I was, I had been, you know, 5150. I'd had a lot of like traumatic experiences just in my own home. And after going on meds, after they found the right medication for me, you know, it was very like, testing. Yeah, it takes a while sometimes. Takes a while. Took a while for me and then when they found that right fit, I did feel a lot better. I didn't feel like quite like myself, but I felt stable. And so when they told me you have to go off meds, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like I I have no idea who I, like what I'm going to be like. This is this is insane. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Jess and Becca from the Chatty Broads podcast. If you guys haven't heard me on their podcast, you can go back a couple of months to listen to my episode. I batched so much content. I literally have content for you guys through the end of the year at this point. And so I was a little bit slower at releasing their episode than they were mine. We also ended up recording them on separate days because... We recorded really late that night and I was too exhausted to do a back to back. In this week's episode, we are diving into topics like mothering and quarantine, which is certainly no easy feat. We're talking about birth and postpartum. We're talking about everything in between um, and even a little bit into mental health. So with that, here's this week's episode. How did you all meet? Did you know each other before you did The Bachelor, Becca? Um, no, we didn't. So we we became friends just kind of through mutual friends. And we weren't even really like, I mean, we were like acquaintance friends. It's like, oh yeah, my yeah. friend. We didn't, we didn't like hang out or anything. It would just be like if we were at a bar together or like at a mutual friend's party and we'd chat. And we got along really well, but it was literally like, we did not really know each other at all. Like when we recorded our first episode of the podcast, it was literally like, Hey, we should see what it would be like to do a podcast together. And we were both like, okay, yeah, let's try it. And I went over to Jess's house to their recording studio. And we literally just sat down and talked. And that's what the podcast has been ever since. Like, I think the amount of time that Jess and I have actually, I, I think we've hung out one-on-one maybe like two or three times in the past two years, <laughs> not recording the podcast, aside from when we went to Hawaii. But like our whole friendship has kind of like started and evolved like through Chatty Broads. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, podcasts, you 
have to automatically get vulnerable with each other. So it's like it expedites your relationship so quickly. (laughs) Yeah. When you guys started Chatty Broads, did you know it was going to be mainly like Bachelor content? No, that wasn't really our intention at all. And then when The Bachelor started, it was like, I mean, most of the audience initially came from my following, which came from The Bachelor. So then it was kind of like, well, we have to, we have to cover like the season. And then eventually that's what we ended up doing. But I mean, even now, like when we do the, the Bachelor coverage for The Bachelor, Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, we still do two episodes a week. So usually the second episode a week, we cover non-batch. And then for the other, however many months out of the year, we do strictly pretty much like other stuff. But that wasn't our intention. Bless you guys for doing two episodes a week. I tried that (laughs) for a while and it's just not at all sustainable for me. It's so brutal. It can be a lot. It can be a lot. It's it's so week to week. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you know what? We're crushing this out. We're good. And then we'll have a couple weeks where Beck and I'll look at each other and be like, we have nothing to say right now. Like, I don't even know. I have nothing. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about motherhood and quarantine. What has your guys' experiences been like? You Becca? go first. Okay, okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. I mean, <laughs> I think it's, we're in a really fun stage right now. So, I mean, when we first, the stay-at-home order started, um, Ruth was like 13 months old. And now, I mean, she'll be 16 months next month. And I think it's really fun, especially because my partner and I are both staying at home. And I th- it's been pretty great because I'm pregnant. I'll be giving birth next month in June. And I'm just like, how many kids and families get this kind of transition into having two kids? Like, It's pretty fantastic just being able to spend one-on-one time with her. I mean, honestly, a lot of my life me personally hasn't really changed for the stay at home order. I was already staying at home a lot with Ruth. So if anything, it's like easier for me because I have my partner here to help. And so, yeah, overall pretty, luckily pretty positive. I've had a slightly different experience. (laughs) (laughs) How old is your daughter? She's four. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. You just wait, Becca. You have no idea what is coming. It's like, you're in the fun phase. It's, you know, I like four though. When I nannied, I don't, I don't like the, I prefer like four between like four and sevens, like my favorite. And I love four too. I think it's the four that can't leave the house. That's the the crazy part of it. That's like my daughter, you know, she would go to daycare every day. She's an only child, but she was not created to be. So it doesn't feel like she's so social. And so this has been such a weird experience for her because for the first like month, she was like, this is so fun. Constant time with mommy and daddy. And then about a month in, she like got depressed. Like my Mm. little happy go lucky kid was crying constantly and telling me how sad she was. And she was lonely. And like, you know, that's been, that's been tough because I want her to have her friendships and have this time in her life where she should be playing with other kids and she doesn't have any other kids to play with. And I've felt like massive like guilt because, you know, I feel this, like there's this piece where you're like, okay, I, I, I want to be able to help, but at the same time, I can't offer uh, that type of friendship to you. I can be your, you know, your playmate at home and your mother, but I can't be your little four-year-old friend running around. So 
Yeah. Also, you guys are always going places too. Like, yeah, we're very busy. Stuff. Yeah, she's a little tornado, so we've always, we're always out of the house. So this has been such a weird transition, but luckily. The daycares are opening soon, so she gets to see her friends again. <laughs> Not soon enough. Mine's <laughs> June seventeenth, and I'm like the second. Yeah, it you're opens. like, oh, bye. <laughs> Have fun. Enjoy. Wait. So, yeah. what have people been doing who like need daycare? So essential daycares, like there are some that are. Open. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about how that's worked. I just because I'm like, what if both parents are like in the restaurant industry or something like? That? And you have to, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking probably family members, like other families who aren't so essential uh-huh. workers, are coming to take care of the kids. I know for us, my nanny just came back within the last two weeks because my husband and I were like, this is not sustainable. Like you can't, we were doing this schedule. It was so insane. He would work eight to 12 and I would work 12 to five. And so we'd switch. So like, okay, you can podcast and edit and do all the things you need to do in this four hour window. And then I'll switch. And I have these five hours to get this done. And then we'll do the cooking and the meals and all the stuff and then get the kids into bed and then we would crash and I was like this is just this is actually amplifying the we thought the schedule would make things easier for us but it was actually amplifying my depression and my Mm -hmm. feelings of just overall overwhelm because I was just trying to cram all of my schedule into this four-hour window and it just wasn't sustainable so we brought back Peyton two weeks ago and I'm so glad because she's like the fun sitter. I think even with siblings, it would definitely be hard to be an only child right now unless you're like Ruth's age. You're too little, yeah, for sure. You're too little to like even know anything different. Yeah. So yeah, when daycare reopens on June 16th, I think it is, we will be there at the door waiting for <laughs> to get checked. Girlfriend, I'm camping out. I'm camping out with my sleeping bag ready, <laughs> like pounding on the door at like 7 a.m. Just like the joys. And of she's, motherhood. and my daughter feels the same way. I, so when I told her, she started crying of, like Aww. out of joy. She's like, my yeah. friends. And I'm like, oh my God. She's so excited to just see everyone. And yeah. I'm like, I this morning, I just have to tell you guys, this happened this morning. So it's very fresh in my brain. I was setting up for the podcast. I left her alone for two minutes and I came back and she has my lube. She's found it somehow. She has my lube and she's squeezing it in her hand and rubbing it all over her body. And it's like, it's hand sanitizer for coronavirus. And her, lube covering her body. Was it the Omax lube? Yes. Bruce got into that the other day too, funny enough. She, means she can't talk and say it's lotion, but she thinks she's she does the squirty thing now. Oh my God. Same shit. Top to bottom lubed up. I'm they like, call it the mess-free airless, airless pump and it's mess-free until your child gets hold of it. Until your child gets a hold of it. And it's oily too. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> And so you're like, oh, okay, here, honey, put her yeah. in the bath. I've got to go podcast. Exactly. Enjoy trying I'm to like, get that off of her because it's not easy. Have fun. She is moisturized. She is lubed up and ready to go for the day. <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. The joys. 
Hi, this is Deborah Messing. And I'm Andana Dayani. We decided to create a podcast to introduce you to the people who inspire us most. These are the dissenters, the people who just made a decision one day to break down the establishment and build a new one. In the greatest times of grief or even the most ordinary of circumstances, many heroes will rise. You just have to take that first step. So please tune in this May for our premiere episode and catch a new episode every Wednesday. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are heroes everywhere. Discover them. Become one. I know that you've talked a lot about birth, Becca, and the importance of birth. I've seen your stories periodically where you've talked about home birth. Oh, yeah, I'm a birth lives. junkie. Me too. For sure. So let's get into it. Jess, I don't know if you're a birth junkie, but... I became a birth junkie after I gave birth. Okay. <laughs> That's how I was. My first, well, that's not true. My first birth, I got pregnant. I watched the business of being born. I was like, I'm absolutely having a home birth, but I didn't research anything else. Like Mm. I was so steadfast that I was having a home birth that when all of a sudden I wasn't having a home birth, I had PTSD because I was no longer having a home birth. Yeah. And so, um, I was only aware or desired one type of birth and was so, it was like I had tunnel vision for that experience. Mm -hmm. And then when that experience didn't transpire, I had no idea what to expect in the hospital. And I was left with a really, like, I remember when she was placed on me, I was like, this is not how, like, there's a disconnect. Like, this is not how birth is supposed to be or my birth is supposed to be. But then what ended up happening was when my oldest was about a little over a year, I attended a friend's birth. She was a single mom and she had nobody to go to the hospital with her Mm. and she wanted to have an unmedicated birth. And I was like, well, I'll come help you if you, if you want, like I've been through it. I made it all the way to pushing before I transferred to have my C-section. So I was like, I'll come help you. And the birth bug bit me and I we had the most amazing unmedicated birth in the hospital it was the first time I had seen birth because I didn't see my own birth I mean I had experienced it but then with the c-section you don't see anything and so I got to witness this experience and then I was like I have to become a doula and literally I called my midwife leaving the hospital crying and I was like I have to do birth work and she was like oh, okay I mean you don't have to become a midwife you can just become a doula I was like what the fuck is a doula <laughs> and she was like it's a birth support person. what you just did like, oh, yeah oh, oh this is what I want to do and so then um literally the next weekend I had enrolled in classes and the rest is history that's and so cool that's so cool I feel like Becca that might be in her future as well Maybe the only thing I honestly, I would love to be a birth worker. I just can't really handle lack of sleep and having small children. And that is like, that's the, that's the thing for me where I'm like, I don't actually know if I could feasibly do it. I've thought about it and I'm like, maybe in the future, um, maybe being like an IBCLC or something like that, or maybe like a postpartum doula, or maybe just taking on like one maybe like one client a month or something That's what like I do. that. I, only, yeah. I take six, five to six births a year. Yeah. And I try to space them out. It's weird. I have births all summer this year, which was not planned, but yeah, I make sure that I have a huge gap 
in between um, my births. So that way I have enough time to recoup. And I will say there are definitely the births when I'm gone for 48 hours and that's brutal. But most of the time it's like 16, 18 hours. Yeah. And I have a backup. So if I'm starting to feel really exhausted and she's still in active labor and has not yet reached transition, which is always a risk to leave, but I will leave, go home, sleep for three hours and come back. Yeah. Yeah. So Becca, you're just like the, the, the mom is calling you. She's like, I'm in labor. And you're just like, I just need two more hours. Just two more hours. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'll get back to you. Um, Everyone has yeah. to be within a five minute radius. <laughs> all of my clients. <laughs> I don't know. With you. <laughs> maybe someday in the future, but also maybe just being like, a, I, I'd, what I would love to do actually is I'd love to do, um, I'd love to do like birth education classes sometime in the future. Oh. I'm also a childbirth educator and yeah. I love that too. But yeah, nothing be beats finishing a labor and seeing a happy mom mm. and a happy baby and a peace. And that's not always the outcome for sure. But what I think is the biggest gift of birth work is that when it's not the outcome, I get to emotionally be there for that woman. So that way, yeah. hopefully she's walking away feeling better than I did. Because for me, my birth went south fast and I didn't have that person to look at me in the eyes and to go, okay, this is what's happening and you're going to be okay. And sometimes birth is different than what we expect. And this is why we have a birth preferences list. I, I don't yeah. do birth plans. I do birth preferences. And this is a variation of normal. And this does not mean that you're a failure and we're walking through this together and I'm going to hold your hand through the whole experience and it's going to be okay. Like to have that there drastically first of all it actually shifts what's happening in our brain so we can process the information and we don't go into a state of fight or flight and it just allows for a better postpartum period I mean I noticed that in the experiences that I have when it is a traumatic birth the mom still walks away feeling mostly peaceful about the experience I didn't have a bad experience I just wasn't informed at all like and that was that was due to myself being fearful of the process. So I'm kind of one of those people that I'm like, if I ignore it, it goes away. So I found out I was pregnant by surprise. And I was just like, I guess I'm just going to be pregnant and research pregnancy and then have the baby and figure it out afterwards. So that if I don't know too much, I won't be too anxious about the, the birthing process because I was already just so anxious about being a mom in general. Um, we've talked about it on our podcast before, but I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder a few years before that. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was just so scared in general that I'm like, will I be able to be a mom and also mm -hmm. be a bipolar person? Um, had you been stabilized on meds before your pregnancy? Yes, I had. And I had to go off of all that medication. I was going to say you had to go off of your meds. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? Well. I was horrified. You know, I, before I uh, was put on meds, I was, um, I had been, you know, 5150'd. I'd had a lot of like traumatic experiences um, just in my own home. And after going on meds, after they found the right medication for me, you know, it was very like testing. Yeah, it takes a while there. sometimes. It takes a while, it took a while for me. And then when they found that right fit, I just felt. I did feel a lot better. I didn't feel like quite like myself, but I felt stable. 
And so when they told me you have to go off meds, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I, I have no idea who, I, like what I'm going to be like. This is, this is insane. And whatever happened hormonally in my body, I went off medication and I had never felt better or more like me than ever. And it was like, what pregnancy did to my body. And, you know, I, I say this all the time to people. I'm like, Hey, I'm not saying get, getting pregnant is going to change this at change all. It, just, it, yeah. it happened. It just happened. Whatever was going on in my system, that's hormonally yeah. what happened with me. And so my whole pregnancy, I was like the best that I had ever been. And I think that's probably too, maybe why I was avoiding subconsciously avoiding thinking about the actual birth because I was like, once the birth happens, I'm going to hormonally go back to bipolar mm-hmm. Jessica. And I don't want to even maybe go there. I just want to be pregnant and peaceful right now. So after giving birth and it like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad experience. Like I said, I just wasn't informed. Um, and so I felt like I was doing it, doing it up until like, you know, the final hour. And then I kind of freaked, <laughs> but I had a, a healthy delivery. And, you know, for me afterwards, it ended up, I'm so grateful. And I don't know why it is this way, but whatever happened hormonally stayed through postpartum and mm. I've never gone back on medication since. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. The same can be true for MS. If you have multiple sclerosis, you can actually really? the best that you've no ever way. felt in pregnancy. Yes. Which is oh really, God. really interesting. Yeah. Sometimes those hormonal shifts can have a huge impact. And at our treatment center, we often talk about the difference between genetic bipolar and then um, non-genetic bipolar, which is just compounded trauma. Um, that is presenting as bipolar. If you guys want to go back and listen to the episode with Dr. Sagan, I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, fascinating. Oh, I'm going to listen to that. That's really cool though, Jess, that you've been able to be medication free since then. Yeah. You know, I'm definitely going to listen to that episode that you put out because um, I'm sure that that would answer some questions and resonate with me. But I think that that was one of the reasons that I think I became really into birth afterwards because I was like, this shit is powerful. Like it goes beyond what I thought it went beyond. Like this is the creation of a human being. And not only in my experience and with my situation, did my daughter give me the gift of becoming medication free and like living this life that I never thought I was going to have again. Mm it also showed, like, made me feel more powerful and more confident in myself than mm-hmm. I ever thought I could be, um, knowing that I was like, I, I can do this, mm-hmm. and I gave birth, and I'm okay. And even if, let's just say the bipolar would have come back with a rage, I still believe that knowing that I accomplished that would have just been a huge transformational experience for me. I had the opposite experience. I was totally fine in early sobriety and actually had gotten off of all of the meds that they had put me on in treatment. And then I got pregnant and I was fine. And then after my birth, 
I became suicidally depressed and had like full blown mania and asked my husband to 5150 me and was having 15 panic attacks a day. And I still have not been quite right ever since then. Do you feel Uh, like that was attributed to your birth experience or just like that transition after pregnancy? I think the traumatic birth experience was kind of the thing that tipped me over, you know? I'm just very contrarian by nature and I'm kind of like, I'm a rebel without a cause, I guess, is sort of just in my blood. And I mean, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I've just had a lot of experiences, like small experiences granted, but in the medical world where I just felt like I wasn't listened to and that like, I felt like I knew my body best and that the professionals I was working with didn't acknowledge that. And I felt like just with different stuff from like skin to vaginal health to other things, I just felt like I was never listened to. And I was like, look, I know what's going on and I can tell you this is what's going on. And I just never felt acknowledged. And that was really frustrating for me. And so it kind of always became something that I would dread if I had anything that I had to go see like the dermatologist or the gyno or the regular doctor for, I was just like, uh, here we go. I'm going to have to be like, yeah. Anyway. So I already kind of had that experience. It sounds like, man, I really want to make sure that I have a provider that's going to like respect me and my knowledge of my body. And I want to say this because I feel like people think that I, I think that can only be done in an out-of-hospital setting. Definitely do not think that. But when I was researching the midwifery model of care, I was like, oh, this is what I want. Like more often than not, the experience is that women are giving power, given power over their bodies. Not always, not all midwives are the same. And of course, same with OBs. But I just felt like an alternative birthing experience would be best for me. And, and I felt really yeah. confident in that. And did you end up having a home birth or did you go to a birth center? No, I did a birth center and I felt great about that. The birth center that we did was um, actually even right next, right next door to Cedar sinai And that was fantastic. I was like, this is the best of both worlds. And also the birth center that I went with and the midwife there, it's more like, especially compared now to my midwife, it, it was definitely more like medicalized, but that's what I wanted for my first birth. Yeah. It was really nice in between. So um, yeah, that was a really good experience for me. But you know, something I learned through my experience is you're so vulnerable during birth that like one comment that one person can make or like just one simple thing that goes awry can like, will sit with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And will sit with you sometimes for months or even years. And I'm like, my experience was very positive and very along the lines of what I was hoping for. I called it birth goals. I like your birth preferences. I called it, I was like, I don't have a birth plan, but I have birth goals. And, um, but even then there's just like a couple things that like stuck with me that even now, like being pregnant with my second, I process over and over. And I think that that just shows how important it is for birthing people to be supported wherever and whatever's going on. People don't understand informed consent. And it's really sad because a lot of the times, the second that you walk into a hospital, you're actually stripped of informed consent in a lot of 
ways. And I know I'm going to get shit for saying that from all the nurses who listen to my podcast who are like, that's not true, but I'm sorry. Unless you're going in and saying we're doing a vaginal exam and this is why, and do you consent to this, which I never see. I see and, and not even that, starting it with where if you say we're doing it, then, you know, even yeah. that's like sort of yeah. taking away someone's autonomy. Yeah, we're doing. Yeah, it's like I've seen things being made up like where they have a teaching student nurse, which I know nurses need to learn. I totally get it. But they'll say like, oh, I'm going to do a vaginal exam and then she's going to do one after to make sure that we have the same number. It's like, no, each time that you insert your fingers into this woman's vagina, you're increasing the risk of potentially breaking her water and creating infection. And if she has an infection, then she's probably going to end up with extreme intervention and end up in a C-section because she's going to have a fever and the fever is going to be hard to manage with meds. And we don't know where she's going to be at in her labor. And she's going to end up in a C-section because you guys had to do so many vaginal exams. Like You don't need to put your fingers in a woman's vagina, period, unless you are, I mean, there's times, but even in late late pregnancy prenatals, like you don't need to be checked. You don't need to be checked every time. You don't need to be checked. Yes. You're 39 (laughs) weeks. You have not even hit your due date. You don't need to have a vaginal exam to see where you're at. Also, you could be like Jess at four centimeters for four weeks. That's what I was going to say. Absolutely. So with my first, I was zero. I was hard and closed, right? Hard and closed. The next night, my water broke and I had a pretty fast labor. With my second, I had contractions for weeks. At 38 weeks, I went into my doctor because I was having a high-risk pregnancy. And I was like, just fucking check me. Like, I need to know where we're at. Because I am so over every single night for two, the last two weeks mm. thinking labor is going to start and it doesn't oh. start. And um, he checked me and I was four, stretchy and thin. I, I was posting the other day about just saying like, look, basically like not all care providers are the same. I was talking specifically with pregnancy. And this is this is what I think people don't get either is like midwives and like OBs, no one has the same two opinions and beliefs about everything. Mm-hmm. I think people don't get that. Like a lot of birth stuff is steeped in, unfortunately, like tradition mm-hmm. and belief and just like stuff that's been done for decades. Yeah. I was getting super pissed off on my story and a lot of people were getting mad at me because I went on a live and an OB was saying that um, she recommends women get epidurals because then she can help she can tell them to stop pushing and then she can help guide out baby to reduce risk of tearing. For one thing, the, the OB doesn't need to be guiding or pulling baby out baby at all. Out. Hands yeah. off. No one, no one needs to be doing that except in certain emergency situations. Yes. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. of the time though, if you can, if a woman can switch up positions and baby can come out, not all the time, but anyway, and then also research shows the opposite. Like shit, I, I was like, wait, there all evidence shows that epidural leads to higher risks of tearing. Like that's just yeah. research. So I was like, isn't it your job as a doctor of birth to like know what research is saying? I don't get it sometimes either, because you look at other developed countries, you look at the UK, you look at Scandinavian countries, you look at their rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality. 
and they're so much better than the US. They're based around the midwifery model of care. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why do we think that we don't have a broken system when we have such high rates of mother and infant death in one of the most developed countries in the world? I mean, it's absurd. And then also it's like, even with ACOG, it's like sometimes ACOG will be completely different from ARCOG, which is the Royal um, College of Gynecology or Obstetrics and Gynecology in the UK. Like for example, about not inducing labor or having an automatic C-section due to babies measuring big. That's like something they don't suggest through ARCOG, but they do suggest through ACOG. And it's like... (laughs) Not to mention anyway, that birth scans can be off up to two, two pounds, pounds in either direction. So they can tell you at your 36 week appointment, oh, it'll probably be around six pounds and you have a nine pound baby or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, it mine, be, mine was totally wrong. Mine, both of mine were wrong. Yeah. And I measured ahead by three weeks with my second. He was Whoa. like, you're going to have a huge baby at my 38 week appointment, that last appointment. I ended up delivering her a few days after that appointment, but my 38 week visit, and he was like, you're measuring 41 weeks right now. And I was like, okay, like I'll be fine. I'm still having a VBAC. I ended up having a VBAC with my second and she was born seven pounds. So yeah, normal. That was so normal. my little one, my little one, it was like, oh, she's nine something. She's like a hundred centimeters. They made her sound so long. <laughs> I was just like, what? And then she came out and she was seven pounds in 1919. Yeah. And I'm like, totally normal. Uh, I was just a, that's just a standard size baby. I think like, yeah. I, don't know. I think like I, and well, I, and I just want to say like, this is not, this is not to say that like OBs are the devil or C-sections are not. horrible. None of that. I think what's just important and what we're trying to say, just cause I'm, I already know what people say in response to all this stuff is that people need to be informed women need to be given their autonomy back. And yeah, yeah I mean, the, the person who's birthing should be the person that has a say in what goes on with their body and their child. I think like the yeah. right to choose and like my body, my choice doesn't end when you're giving birth. No, it's so, it's so like depends on you doing your research. And I know for myself personally, like the OB that delivered my daughter was incredible. Like She was like the queen of giving me choices and talking me through everything and was like, and came in at one point before I started to push and like kind of scolded a nurse about not giving me, like informing me about something and was so just so advocating for me to make decisions through the whole process and know everything that was going on. Um, And I didn't know that I had the like ability to do that. And so it's just so important. And that's my big thing. And I was so then grateful when I met Becca and we were talking about this because she was so informed about so much that I'm like, oh my God, this is so important for people who are giving birth to know and just to be informed. And we've talked about this on one of our episodes, but I'm like, I was scared. So I ran from information. And when you're in that room, it is quite the opposite. Like you want to know everything that is going on everything. And that will help reduce your anxiety versus being like, I'm just blindly walking into this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I know, uh, you know, as someone who's been working in this field for the past uh, six years now, I know so many amazing OBs and I know a lot of not so great midwives. It's really about the care provider 
I think what we're advocating for is a look at the model of care and the current policy, hospital policy specifically that's in place. Mm -hmm. And that is really working against, I would say, healthy outcomes and holistic and holistic well-being not just not just this thing as like if mother and baby survives that's best and great yeah that's not a good outcome necessarily No. no because we have to think of mind body and spirit like becoming a mother is a spiritual experience period whether you like it or not like you're entering into a new period of your life that is so incredible. And I should say becoming a parent because it's true. And it's a spiritual shift that happens where all of a sudden this being that you've created now means more to you than anything else, anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to be emotionally supported throughout that process. And I think that too, I will say a lot of the women who don't have an empowering experience then question their ability as a parent. And that breaks my heart. Yeah, and it's um, hard enough as it is. Like I was in a birth center in a tub and I remember like my daughter being placed on my chest and I was like, I don't really feel like how I saw all these people feel in the videos. Like yeah. I don't really. My tears of love aren't dousing her hair. I'm pretty <laughs> much just glad this shit's over right over. now. Like and and that's that- kind of how it felt, you know? And yeah. it's like, that was hard enough as it was for me to experience that in like the perfect setting. Yeah. And, and I think that that the thing is it takes some time. Like that's what I want to say is like that first few minutes is like, oh, fuck, it's over. And then comes the like, oh, and here's this being. And then, oh, and this is my baby. And it just, you have to give this break of like, I just went through something really traumatic. My baby just went through something traumatic. And now together, we can kind of bond through this experience. If you're in the right Settings. I don't believe anybody should be able to tell anyone else what they can or can't do with their body. I mean, I know people are going to disagree with me, but I feel personally like the same way about suicide being illegal or like euthanasia being illegal. It's like, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't, I personally don't believe that anyone has a right to mandate what happens to your body besides you. Thank you, everybody. You can check them out on their Chatty amazing Broads. podcast, Chotty Broads. And you can also follow them on Instagram at Chotty Broads. And Becca is just at Becca, B E K. Yep, H. H. And Jess is the bad mom. The bad mom with two Ds. Yeah. She's <laughs> a baddie. All right. Thanks, girls. <laughs> thanks, Alexa. <laughs> This week's affirmation is, I am in awe of what my body is capable of. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.